this evening. Ephesians chapter number 4 is where we'll start this evening. Ephesians chapter number 4. I cannot think of a time where I have had more on my heart and mind uh, in me to stir it up, if you will, as the, you would say about a preacher, fired up and ready to preach, than maybe this week. Uh, you heard Sunday night, if you were here, if you were not, I encourage you to go back and listen to our live stream about everything that God did in the hearts of our young people. He didn't just do it at work in their heart, he did it at work in my heart. Anytime the Word of God is preached, if we are coming prepared to hear from God, He will speak. So, well, God didn't speak to me. Well, the question you have to ask is, have you truly prepared yourself for it? Uh, I understand. Trust me, I get it. There are some preachers that are easier to listen to, better to look at, more entertaining, and, and easier to hold the attention than others. So I'm praying for you this evening. I'm praying the Lord uses me. But most importantly, I'm praying that the Lord speaks to our hearts. Ephesians chapter number 4 comes to a point in the book where it's making a transition. Like in most of Paul's apostles that he's written, he has a doctrinal part of his book and then he transitions from the doctrinal, from the truth that is given in the doctrinal portion to a practical application because of what he's already said. One of Paul's favorite words that you find in the, in the scriptures is therefore. In other words, he says, I, I'm laying out this truth. Now let me tell you what to do with it. That's what God exactly would have us to do, isn't it? He's given us truth. And then he says, here's what to do with it. Our responsibility is that when we see the what to do with it, that we're obedient. Ephesians it's a wonderful book. It's one of my favorite New Testament scriptures. Uh, the great theme of Ephesians is in Christ. In fact, so much so that over 35 times or around 35 times, you will find that phrase in some way, shape, or form. In Christ, in Him, in God. Over and over and over in these small six chapters here, He is telling us of everything that we have, that we have been given, that we have found, that we have obtained in Christ and where we are. In fact, we know of one that we say that may be one of the most commonly spoken of is that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. There earlier in the passage. And chapters 1 through 3 tell us about all these things that we have found in Christ. Chapter 2 being the great chapter that we talk so often about when we think of uh, verse number 1 that we were dead in trespasses and sins, but in Christ we are made alive. We have eternal life. Eternal life is not something we will gain one day. If we know Christ is our personal Savior, eternal life is something that we hold on to right now. It is a present possession. And because we have that eternal life, we are already seated with Christ in heavenly places. There's three positions that we see in Ephesians throughout the book that the believer is in in relation to Christ. The first is being seated. We're seated with Christ. In chapter number 4, Paul makes a, a mention that our position changes from just being seated to Christ, where now we are walking with Christ. In chapter number 6 and verse 10, he goes on to say, but while you're walking, also understand that you are to stand. In fact, as we think about that passage on the armor of God, he says, having, to do, having done all to stand, 
stand therefore. But the truth is, is that if we're going to move from the fact of the understanding that we are seated with Christ and we do have a stance to do, the truth is, is that we can't just idly walk. We have to walk with purpose, with intention. And the truth is, is that we have to learn how to walk. May I remind you that the Bible says that when we trusted Christ our Savior, we were born again. We were new babes in Christ. We think about the the nursery. If we walk down there and we looked at the youngest child in there and just look at him and say, why aren't you walking yet? We would all be like, well, we know why they're not walking yet because it's a process. It's a learning that comes. And the truth is that even the most uh, aged Christian here, the person who's been the saved the longest, the person who's been with God for the longest, still has some learning to do. May we never get to the point where we think that just because we've been saved for a period of time or we've been walking God for a period of time that we've obtained. I think about my own life. And was thinking the other day, we were, had the teenagers there at Youth Congress and this coming May, it'll be, or this, this coming May, it, it will be 20 years since I graduated high school. I came to know Christ as my personal Savior at the age of five. It's been 32 years since I came to know Christ as a Savior. I praise the Lord for that. I am far from attained. I answered the call to preach 20 years ago. Last year. Last October. I haven't gotten there yet. I pray that I never feel like I have. And Ephesians chapter 4 brings us to a point where God in His divine wisdom under the inspiration of Paul's writings says some things to us about learning to walk. pray that you'll read along as we read all of chapter 4 and into chapter 5 and we see what God has to say about this, this idea of walking with Him. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherein or wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, Forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive." But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the 
whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understand, their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past filling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye may put off the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him that uh, let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all cleanliness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as become a saint's. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, no unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath an inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with these vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as the children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whosoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. To think of all the things that are put in there. But yet again, as we walk through the passage, starting in verse number 1, he keeps mentioning that term, walk, walk, walk. He's emphasizing something here. He's letting us know, it's always been said, I've heard many preachers said, 
If your mom repeats yourself, you know you're in trouble. You know to take mention. When God repeats himself, you better listen up. It's not by chance that God uses the word walk uh, in this small passage of uh, a chapter and a half here. And he says four times in here to walk. The emphasis here, the idea, the understanding is that there is an importance or a matter of that understanding of our walk matters to God. When we talk about the Christian walk, we, we've become so uh, used to the idea of that term walk that when we hear walk, we immediately think, oh, he's going to talk about preaching. He's going to talk about reading our Bible. He's going to talk about our prayer life. He's going to talk about the things that we're supposed to be doing every day. And while that is your Christian walk, yes, I think God makes an emphasis and shows us exactly what he's speaking of in this passage. A few things I'd like to to show you this evening that that the Lord showed to me and just jumped out at the page of me that have been on my heart for for just a little while now. And I'd like to show you the first thing here. And that is that when it comes to learning to walk, number one, there's a difference to our walk. There's a difference to our walk. Would you look at verse number 17 with chapter number 4 here with me? It says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth... Walk not as other Gentiles walk. In other words, it's time to be different. There must be a difference about our walk. It should be something that just sets us apart. In other words, what God is saying here is as the Gentiles walk that you know and that you have in past, it's time to walk differently. And we would know that the Christian should be different. But God makes a, a very distinct understanding here in this passage. He's not talking about what necessarily we do, but who we are. You know, the Christians, and especially in the day and age we live in, we have so many Christians who want to make an emphasis on their their what. In other words, what they do, what they look like, what they sound like. Those are all good things, but they should all flow out of who they are. For years, I've heard the saying, the noun comes before the verb. Before you can ever act like a Christian, you must be a Christian. Before you can ever walk the Christian life, you must be a Christian who's living close to God, near to God, and dear to God. There's a difference in our walk. What we do flows out of who we are. You find a Christian who says, oh, I'm a Christian, but they live like the world, they talk like the world, they sound like the world, they participate in the things of the world. Then you would start to say, well, are they really a Christian? Who am I to say? But the truth is, is that we're, if we're here this evening and we claim we're a Christian, we're in the Wednesday night church service. This is, this is the, the heartbeat of our church, the ones that come on Wednesday night. And God would say uh, in this passage, He says, if you're going to say you're a Christian, make sure your walk matches. Look at verse number 1 again. Peter or Paul writing, he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you, That ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. What he's saying is, is he says, if you're going to walk this walk, if you're going to claim to be a Christian, and you're going to say that you're a Christian, then walk up to the name of it. The namesake that our name claims is Christ Himself, and we are to walk worthy of that name. We are supposed to walk with God. It's interesting here in verse number 18, verse number 17 and 18, God begins to tell us how the Gentiles walk. Verse number 17, he says here, he says, walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. That's so true. The world that we live in today in this age 
it's a matter of what they think in their mind must be true. You know that's the case. Look at our news. If you're watching the news, if you're well aware of it, it's what it be- that the world believes. Anything I think of, I can have, I can do, I can be. I am what I say I am. That's a vain pursuit. Truth is not merely a subjective reality that we just think. Truth is absolute. It has been written and recorded for us. There is only one person who can tell us what truth is, and it is God Almighty. And yet, the Gentiles, the world, would walk having you believe that that you can be whatever your mind would come up to be. I remember growing up in public school. Those of you that did the same, or even didn't grow up in public school, you'll know this truth. You can be anything you want to be. If you think this, uh, this mess of this whole uh, transgender mess with being whoever you want to be started just a few months ago, it started years ago when people started telling a generation of people, you can be anything you want to be. No, the truth is, is that God has made you very specific So much so that God even tells you that when He made you, He made you wonderfully, fearfully, with purpose, for a purpose. And that purpose was to glorify, honor Him, and bring glory to Him. And you are exactly what He has you to be if you serve Him. Well, I I, I can be whatever I desire. It's, It's just a matter of me thinking. You know, we live in a world, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, who people now believe in manifestation. What in the world have we gotten ourselves into? Well, if I just have positive thoughts and I think long enough on it, it will come true. No. Sorry. You're delusional. That's not the case. Sure, there's something to be said about having a positive attitude on life, the right look in life. But I guarantee you, if it's not centered around the person of Jesus Christ, there is no positive outlook. God has shown us in His Word that this world is in the vanity of their mind. It's useless, in other words. That word vanity meaning with vain pursuit. There's no hope in that. Not only that, but verse number 18, it says that they having the understanding darkened. They don't get it. They won't get it. Never let an unsaved lost person influence your decisions for Christ. Because they're not going to understand why you do what you do, why you speak the way you speak, why you live the way you live, why you would give up your Sunday mornings, your Sunday nights, your Wednesday nights to go to church, why you would give up your Saturday mornings. to That's your only day off. Why are you waking up early to go to soul winning and visitation? Because someone led me to Christ and I have a desire and an obligation to tell others about the gospel of Christ. Don't let this unsaved world dictate what you believe about God, because they will never understand it. Save them coming to know Christ as their personal Savior. Their understanding was darkened. Look at what else it says. It says that they were being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. In other words, they were separated, they were shut out, they were estranged from the truth of God and His Word because of their own lack of knowledge. It amazes me that we have allowed the world to dictate what we as Christians will do and how we will behave, and including in the house of God. 
What a dangerous ground we walk. It says here that the blindness of their heart, because of the blindness of their heart. When the word, when the word of God uses the word heart, it's speaking about the inner man. Man was made in three parts in the image of God, just like God is three in one. We are three in one. Our body, our soul, and our spirit is how the world would tell you it is. But God tells us very plainly in the, in the scriptures that it's spirit, soul, and body. That the inner man is the spirit and the soul. And that that spirit and soul are so close that besides God himself, there is only one thing that can divide them. And that is the word of God, Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, that is sharper than any two-edged sword, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And God says here that these unlost Gentiles, these lost Gentiles, the ones that would walk in a way that is not worthy to be walked, have walked in the blindness of their inner man. It's because they've never come to know Christ in their inner man as their Savior. They don't know what it means to worship God truly in those things. It's interesting here, it also says that verse number 19, who being past filling have given themselves un, uh, over unto lasciviousness, meaning they become callous to the truth. Isn't that the world we live in? They've got callous to the truth to the point that they don't care what they do. They've turned what used to be called good into bad and what used to be called bad into pleasant. It's dangerous. And God says, we are not to walk like them. Our walk shouldn't look like their walk. It shouldn't sound like their walk. But I'm afraid that we live in a day and age where so many Christians are keeping but yet an arm length distance from the world and saying, oh, but I'm different. Yes, but what you used to be different so long ago is now the norm for even the Christian. We've made the world and our difference from the world the standard. Rather than being unto God, we are been, well, I'm just a distance from the world. The world gets farther from God. I'm just the same distance from the world. I'm not like the world. I'm just different enough. Can I remind you, God did not call us to just be different enough. He called us to be like Him. And God has stood the test of time unmovable, unchanging, always abounding. And while the world goes further away from God, God has always been compelling the world and Christians unto Himself. And He remains firm. He will always remain firm. We know that we have a steadfast Savior who's unmovable, unchanging, always abounding. And I praise God that He is a fixed point of reference. We see that the walk was supposed to be different. It's interesting here. He says here in verse number 20, but ye have not so learned Christ. When I first started reading that verse, I thought what he was saying was he was telling them that they hadn't learned Christ yet. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that's not how you've come to know Christ. Look back at, uh, just quickly at what I just, we just covered. We don't come to know Christ through the pursuit of our mind. We come to know Christ through the Holy Spirit's indwelling in our spirit. And as our spirit dwells with His spirit, we know Christ. But yet we've come to a point where in our Christian walk, where some of us have come to the point where we believe it's an academic pursuit to, pertain, to obtain the knowledge of Christ. Can I remind you, God never called us to know about Him. He called us to know Him. 
You know Him and you will know about Him. It says understanding darkened. Well, the only way we're going to have our understanding lightened is by knowing Him. We've learned Christ by spending time with Him, by being with Him, by dwelling with Him, by being so close to Him that we know Him and we see Him and we understand Him when He's moving and He's working. When He's speaking, we hear the still small voice because it's near and it's something we know. But yet there's so many Christians that say, I wouldn't know how to find the will of God. I can't understand the will of God. I can't see it. I don't know it. Well, the truth is, it's because we've lived in a life so long where we've walked lives that look like the Gentiles walk, searching for God the way the other Gentiles would search for God's. And he is saying here, this is not how we've learned Christ. Verse number 21, he says, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. If you want to know Christ, you want to be near to Christ, get rid of all the things that are pertaining to the old man. Don't hold on to him. Don't try to pick and choose. Don't try to sanctify the old man. Execute him. Put him to death. Get rid of him. Because that is the only way that we can know God in the true spirit that He desires. In true worship, communing with God is to say the old man is dead, but the new man is going to walk after Christ. There is a difference to their walk. There's a difference that our walk should be. We don't understand God in our minds. It's not an academic pursuit. We don't understand God in our bodies. It's not a physical pursuit. We understand God in our spirit because it is a pursuit of worship. Worship is the true pursuit of God. Would you take your Bibles and go to John chapter number 4 with me, please? John chapter number 4. We've been emphasizing a, a, a phrase with the teenagers for the past several weeks. You might have heard it Sunday night on the, in the testimonies. Now is the time. Now is the time. And God in this passage, Jesus Christ Himself uses those very words to tell us something that I think so many of us have missed. John chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 21, Jesus says, uh, speaking, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship... Ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit. And they that worship must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Worship, true worship, is a pursuit of God. It's done in the Spirit. It's interesting that, uh, you know, when we go back and we look at the Old Testament, when we look at worship in the Old Testament, it is so often seen in the form of sacrifice. 
When Abraham went up to worship, what did he do? He was going to offer his son there on the altar, right? He go, we go up to worship. He was going to kill his son and give a sacrifice. It was a physical thing. It was an action done. It was a performance of something given over to God. You could go throughout all of the Old Testament and you see worship over and over again being referenced to as that physical worship, that physical worship. But then we come to the New Testament and something happened that had never been done before. The final sacrifice was given by the blood of the precious blood of Jesus Christ and there was no need for physical worship any longer. So Jesus, knowing this would happen, begins to tell us what worship will now be. It'll be done in our spirit. Can I tell you, worshiping God is not what you do. It's who you dwell with. I'm sorry to tell you this. The fact that you're here is not worship. The fact that you put money just in the offering plate by itself, of itself, is not worship. If you know not God and dwell not with God and give not to God for His purposes. Serving in a ministry of the church by itself for the purpose of serving is not worship. Save that you are serving the Holy One who has saved you and redeemed you and bought you back. That's worship. When you know Him and you love Him and you come to the point in saying, I can but help to serve you because of what you've done for me. It draws me to service. That's worship. But the truth is, is so many of us go through the motions and we say, well, I'm here to worship. I showed up this evening. I I, I filled a spot. And we never once commune with Him. How can we worship in service whom we have not fellowshiped with in private? There should be a difference About the way we walk. If not, we are no different from Acts chapter number 17. Would you listen to what Paul said to those men on Mars Hill? In verse number 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and he said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God, Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. I pray that we're not ignorantly worshiping a God that we do not know. God has called us to know Him intimately, personally, on an individual basis. Young people, you'll hear me say it over and over again. It's not enough that you serve your parents' God. He must become your God. And it must happen before you're gone and out of the home. Parents, I wonder how many of us in this room are still serving mom and dad's God. Or our preacher's God. Or the evangelist who came by the way one day and we were sitting in a church service and we heard him speak about a God that we came to know as Christ and Savior. And he said, oh, I want to be and know that God. But he became nothing more than the evangelist's God. It's time that God becomes personal to us. It's time that we claim him and we have a personal walk with him. And that we know what it means to dwell with him. Because he delights in that. What we do should flow out of who we are. Back in our passage here, if you look at 
chapter number 4 and verse number 24, it's interesting here that God says, and that ye put on the new man, that's who we are, the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, wherefore put away lying, what we do, we tell the truth. Why? Because the new man has been created. For we are members one of another. Look what he says in verse number 26. Be angry and sin not. Oh, it's me. I'm still trying to learn how to do that sometimes. But why? Because God has created me to be a new man. And so what I do, live a life without anger, should flow out of who I know and what I am. A born-again Christian, a new man created in the image of Christ, redeemed. Keeps going on, never give place to the devil. How many Christians still give place to the devil today? How many of us still give place to the devil? Let him that steals, steal no more, but rather let him labor. Verse 29 is interesting to me. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. We read that and instantly we think of the preachers gone by and they're right that says we don't use uh, foul language and curse language and, and, and words that the world use. But he's not just simply saying the words that we use, but he's talking about the way that we talk to one another and, and about one another should be different. Notice what it says here. It says, no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. God is saying to us, hey, it's time that we as Christians, when we talk about one another, it better be for the use of bringing one another along, not tearing one another down, and not not making each other little amongst each other, but raising them up. It's time that we have corrupt communication removed from us. And oh, so many Christians who would murmur and complain and bicker and argue and fuss and, and speak ill of other Christians and talk bad about other Christians. And we say, why can God not bless? God can't bless because we have corrupt communication in our mouth. And we're all guilty of it. But no, we want to take the easy road and say, well, I don't use curse words. God goes so far beyond Some simple little part of just saying that's the corrupt communication. The word corrupt there means that which just tears down, that what destroys, that which reduces. And it says, let it be moved, removed from you. So we notice that there was a difference in our walk. There's a second thing here. There was distinguishing marks to our walk. Would you look with me at chapter number 5 and verse number 2? It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Walk in love. The first distinguishing mark of a one who's not walking as other Gentiles walks is that they walk in love. Say, well, I love, I love others. I love our church. I'm trying to love those who are sinners. You know what I find interesting in this passage? The context of all of this, when he first mentions walk in in chapter number 4, verse number 1, all the way up to chapter number 5, there is an understanding that when he's talking about walk, he's not talking about our walk amongst the lost world. He's talking about our walk amongst one another. So how do you know that, Brother John? Well, look at verse number uh, 3, endeavoring to keep the unity 
of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse number 4, there is one body and one Spirit. He keeps going on as he speaks there in verse number 7, talking about the church and how he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Verse number 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. When we're talking about our walk in this passage, we're not talking about who we are per se out there. Because the truth is, is if we get our walk right in here, our walk out there will be changed. Say, what are you saying, Brother John? I'm saying that we should walk differently amongst one another than the world walks amongst themselves. There's division and and discord and breaking up of, uh, of the Gentiles amongst one another. There's constant fighting and bickering. Turn the news on. This person's fighting with that person and this group's fighting with that group. But inside the church there should be unity. There should be a coming together in our walk where we can come along one side of another no matter what we look like or no matter what we sound like or no matter what our background is we can come along one another and we can walk together and we can walk together the bible says in love in love that word love there you know many of you throughout the years no doubt you've heard that there are three different words used for the word love in the new testament the first one being the love of a brotherly love phileo love that is just one through another there's the love between a man and a wife And the love that that comes. And then there's a third love. We all know it. It's agape love. It's the love that God gave us when He gave His Son. In this passage here, when He says, walk in love, He's saying, you walk and you love one another the same that God loved you. He's saying to us that our love should flow out of God's love. The great passage in 1 Corinthians, if you would turn there with me, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 tells us a little bit about this love. You know, it's interesting. The world has done a great job of watering down the word love. They want to make it a feeling. They want to make it uh, something that's irresistible. The truth is, is love is a choice. Every wife in this room right now will say amen to this, I know, especially mine. My wife chooses to love me every day. It's not easy. It's difficult. There are days where it's hard to love your spouse. If you're a parent in this room, it is difficult. There are difficult days to loving your children. But it's a choice we make. Every day. And God says that we as the body of believers must get up every day and make the decision that I'm going to love you and you're going to love me. And I know it's hard, it's difficult. Some people are just more lovable than others. Trust me, I work with teenagers. Yes, you guys figure it out. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Some people just are easier to love. Others are much more difficult. And yet God tells us that we are to love one another. We are to walk in love. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, beginning in verse number 4, it says this about love. The word charity here. Charity suffereth long. When I choose to love, I'll suffer long. Excuse me. 
I'll put up with the things that I may not normally put up with because I love. Charity is kind. Don't tell me you love one another and then turn around and talk bad about somebody. That's not love. Don't don't tell me you love someone and then you're not willing to give them the helping hand when they need it. Charity envieth not. Charity's not worried about who's first. It doesn't matter if you're first or last. It just wants everyone to be helped and encouraged and lifted up. Charity vaunteth not itself. In other words, we don't have to be patted on the back when we love someone. Well, you know, I'm just loving the brother and he's, he's a little difficult to do. I just love Brother John. He's a little difficult sometimes, but I love him. You should encourage me. I no. Charity, charity, it's not puffed up. It's not vaunted. Charity doth not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not her own. True love says, I'm not worried about myself. I'm just worried about you. It's not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you had an evil thought about a brother or sister in Christ? I'm sorry to tell you, if you did, it's not love. It's not love. It never faileth. Excuse me, I jumped ahead. It rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Verse number 13. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. And I say to you, it's time that we as the church return to walking in love. One for another. Walk in love as Christ hath loved us and hath given himself for us. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse number 2. He mentions it again in 1 John chapter number 4 verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that, knoweth not God, uh, he that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. It's not talking about our love for the lost souls out there. It's talking about our love for one another. When we have a love for one another and a love for Christ, we can't but help be compelled to reach the lost world. The world out there is not lovely. There is nothing lovely about the world to a Christian. That's why so many of us refuse to witness and soul win because we can't be burdened with that. We can't be bothered by that. There's nothing lovely beyond those doors. But when the love is right here, and it makes the love right here, the world on the outside sees something and says, I want that. I need that. I must have it because there's something different. And it starts with our walk being a walk of love. It's interesting. God connects our love with our speech. Verse number 29 again, let no corrupt communication 
He's talking about the love here. And he's talking about how we should have no corrupt communication. In verse number 4, look at what he says. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking. God correct, connects our love to our speech. The word foolish talking here, it, 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 it's meaning that when we speak just for the purpose of speaking. Just to have a conversation. That word foolish is, is the same understanding that the word vanity has. But notice also here he says not jesting. Not, nor jesting. It's not talking about having a, a good time. It's not talking about humor. No, what it is is it's saying that I'm not going to tear down Jacob in front of you all so that I can make myself look better. I'm not going to tear him down and belittle him to the point that if I love him, I'm not going to tear him down just for the sake of getting a laugh. It's time we walk a little bit different. Not only is there the distinguishing mark of walking in love, but look at verse number 8. There's the distinguishing mark of walking as children of light. The Bible says, For ye are sometimes darkness, but uh, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Proving, verse number 10, proving what is acceptable in the Lord and have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Our lives should be lived walking once amongst one another, reproving the darkness, not by what we say, but by how we live. Our words, yes, should match the way we live, but our lives should first live as a light, shining bright, reproving the darkness. The Bible says that by our good works, we reprove the dark works of this world. Why isn't the light shining anymore? Because we're so worried about ourselves that we can't even worry about living a life as children of light, shining forth our good works unto one another and unto the world. We're too worried about what we have and what I'm going to get. And when I come to church, what am I going to receive? And what will I have and obtain? We must have a walk that is in love and in light. There's a third mark. In verse number 15, the Bible says, See then that ye walk circumspectly. Not only are we to walk in love as a mark of our walk, not only should our walk be marked by by being a child of light, but our walk should be a walk that is done circumspectly. Now that's not a word that we commonly use today. How many of you uh, off the side of your head or your deep... Uh, plethora of vocabulary would say, I could easily define the word circumspectly for you. Would you raise your hand? A few. Our word buffs in here. The word circumspectly literally gives the idea of to be done deliberately, intentionally, with purpose. It gives the idea to stand on guard, if you will. In other words, that my walk is going to be done as if I'm expecting my walk to be attacked every moment of every day that Satan's going to come along and I'm not just going to flippantly, casually walk the Christian life, but I'm going to walk, as Ephesians chapter number 6 would say, with the sword of the Spirit and, and the helmet of salvation and the blessed plate of righteousness, with my feet shod with the perspiration of the gospel of truth, with my, my loins girt about, and be ready for battle in my walk, that as I walk, I'll be attacked. As I walk, there will come up some way, someone, somewhere, that will try to tear 
my walk down. Because Satan doesn't want our light to shine. He doesn't want it to show forth. And he's saying, walk circumspectly. And yet I am afraid that my generation of Christians have learned what it means to just casually walk about the Christian life. Jesus is coming again sometime. I ain't praying for you. Casually sing the songs and open the hymn books and lift our voice. Who would say, oh, I know I need to serve and I I know that what church I attend really matters, but, you know, there's good churches everywhere, right? Just casually go about the way and walk and my generation is showing this generation of young people that the Christian life can be lived in a casual, lackadaisical manner. God forgive us. And God draw us back to yourselves. It is time, yea, it is high time that the church focuses on its walk. It should be a different walk. There were some distinguishing marks of the walk. But as we close, I want you to notice the details of this walk. It doesn't go unnoticed to me that we've entered into chapter 5 of Ephesians. Say, what does that have to do? Well, if I told you at the beginning to take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter number 5, I would dare to say that a great majority of people in this room would start to begin to think about verse 18, verse 19, and the rest of the chapter. The great passage on the family, the home, the everyday life. Ephesians chapter number 5 verse 18 says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. In other words, what he's saying here is that our walk is detailed in the fact that it is our walk in the church. If we're going to live the Christian life, it has to be the Spirit-filled life. If we're going to have this walk be the walk that it's supposed to be, we must be controlled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, and have it to where our desires don't matter, only God's do. But it doesn't stop there. Not only does He speak about our, 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 our lives as being in the church, the speaking to your psalms and hymns, can't talk. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, he goes then forth to say, what about your thanksgiving? What about the way you approach each day of life? So much so that he moves forward into saying in verse number 22, wives. So what are you saying? Paul is saying this, your walk This Christian walk, this different walk, this distinguished walk by love and by light and by being circumspect, it must start in the home. You are no greater Christian than the Christian you are in your home. Oh, you can have everybody at the church house fooled, but I promise you will not have those that you live with fooled. Oh, they know what type of Christian you truly are. 
Sure, you can come to church and you can bring your, your smile and you can open your voice in praise, but, but you go home and the way that you talk and the way that you speak and the things that you talk about and, and the emphasis of your life and the focus of your life is anything but God. And I promise you, the people around you say, that's not the walk we heard about. Fathers, please listen to me. If you're in this room and you have any child in your house that claims you as father in any way, shape, or form, please hear me from a father crying out, spoken to. It is high time that we walk as men of God in our homes and lead our churches and stop letting our wives and our teenagers lead us to what the things of God are. It is time that we take back what God has given us the responsibility of doing and showing our young people that we are to walk in a very deliberate, distinguished, intentional way. Say, I don't have kids in the home anymore. I'm past that. The burden is not gone. We wonder why a generation is fleeing the church. We wonder why a generation is running out the door when the moment they graduate. I will tell you why. Because they're tired of seeing the adults speak one way on Sunday and live another way on Monday. They want no part of hypocritical Christianity. And I don't blame them. And you don't either. Because in the deepest of your hearts, you know that the last thing you would want is a hypocritical pastor standing in this pulpit. You would. You'd walk out the doors. But why is it that we expect everyone around us to live a certain way and yet we're unwilling to do the same thing ourselves? Now is the time. It's interesting. We have a group of Christians. I've heard them. Well, I'm just going to abide. You know them. I'll just abide until the Lord comes. Notice what the Lord says in this passage. In verse number 16 of Ephesians chapter 5. When we walk a different walk that's in love and in light and in circumspect behavior. God tells us this. That through Him. Verse number 16. Redeeming the time. You say, Brother John, we're too far gone. We're we're past the point of no return. We can't come back from it. And I say to you, you don't know the same God I do. Because he said in the Old Testament that he could restore the years which the locusts have eaten. That he can bring back and he, he can give us far greater in the next 10 years than what we've wasted in the past 20. If we'll make the change. Here's the truth. It cannot be done of ourselves. It must be done in Him. Look, I'm not standing up here at all in any way, shape, or form saying, watch me, look at me, I'll show you how to walk. No, what I'm begging and pleading with you is to do this. I'm coming down to you this evening. And I'm coming to you and I'm saying, will you walk with me? Because I need the brethren to stand arm in arm and link with me as I walk this walk. 
Because I'm not saying, hey, stare at me. I've got it all figured out. I'm the one. Look at me. Understand I've done this. No, I'm saying I'm failing. I'm guilty of all these things. Come alongside me. Let's link arms and let's walk together this walk. Let's stop trying to see who's the best among us. And let's just all be closer to God together. As the church should be one body, one unity, walking together this walk of faith that is in love, loving one another, that is in light as children of light should walk, that is in circumspect nature with intentionality, that I'm going to stand here and when I see Satan going to attack these young men, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to reprove Satan in their lives. And I'm going to say, hey, that is Satan attacking you and trying to get you. But no, listen, he wants every single one of you, but God has something greater for you. And I'm going to come alongside Brother Marcus and I'm going to say, Brother Marcus, God wants you and He desires to have you and I'm going to encourage Him. And I'm going to come alongside Brother Austin and I'm going to say, Brother Austin, I'm praying for you. Not out of flippant speech of mouth, but because I've been in prayer for Brother Austin this week or Brother Andy or Brother Sean or Brother Cyrus or whoever it may be in this room. It is high time, high time that we quit walking this flippant Christian life. And get serious about it. Why? Because the king is coming. You notice the church has stopped talking about the return of Christ? The king is coming! And we're all asleep. Because we're worried about our houses and our cars and our money and our personal relationships and all the things that we have and He's going to come and we're all going to be ashamed of what we've done for Him. By and by, when I look on His face, the thorn-shadowed face, by and by, when I look on His face, I'll wish I had given Him more. And I say to you tonight, yea, I challenge you. May I use the words of Paul? I beseech you, walk not as other Gentiles walk, but come alongside me as I try to do it, and our pastor and our church, and let's learn how to walk together. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Oh God, help us. God, forgive us of our casual Christianity. Lord, forgive us of the lives that we have lived day to day without any thought of You. Lord, forgive us of being so consumed with this world that we've left nothing for You. God, I pray that you would help me. Lord, I confess my sin before you of complacency and this casual life of just assuming that it would all take care of itself. God, may that walk be an intentional walk. Help me. Help our church. With heads bowed and eyes closed.